Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Second hour is here from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Chad Withrow, Paul Koharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton. The crew making it happen, Jonathan Moulton. Jacob Swanson, the chairman of the board, is David Reed. Shout out to Becca Risley, Sleepy Danny, our OutKick crew. Uh, fantastic job each and every week for us. You can follow us on Twitter at OutKick360, and you can follow us across the OutKick network from Fox Sports Shoals, Fox Sports Knoxville, Sports Radio 104.7 in the Upper Cumberland. We say hello to you and uh, get ready for a great football weekend. We are headed to Athens for Outkick the Tailgate tomorrow morning, 8 o'clock Central, 9 o'clock Eastern is when we go live. You can follow us on social media for the live link to watch all of the coverage as we broadcast from Broad Street in Athens tomorrow morning. And if you're headed uh, down there to watch the game, Georgia and Kentucky, uh, the 2.30 kickoff, uh, just look for the Fox Big Noon kickoff bus along with OutKick and us. Hutton, you've Give been to Athens. Paul, I have you been? I've not been to Athens. I think you'd love Athens. I, I would that, that would be would. Your, your type of place. It is a great downtown scene in, in Athens. A city that's got a lot of musical history. Yep. It's on REM, R-E-M. B-52s, among others. It's, love uh, Shack, the only song I danced to. It's a really cool spot. It's, uh, it's one of my favorites in the SEC. Looking forward to getting down there tonight. Among our tailgate topics in the morning uh, will be our second poll question when you can follow us on Twitter, at Outkick360, to weigh in on the topic. After... Alabama's loss. There are teams with the longest active winning streaks in college football currently. Oklahoma, Georgia, and Iowa. Who loses first? You can weigh in on the poll question at OutKick360. How long are those streaks? Not, not, it's not, not very not long. Not crazy long. By yeah, any yeah, after so- Alabama, it, the, the next one was like uh, 10 you know, or something like that. Not very long. Who loses next among Oklahoma... Georgia, and Iowa, you can uh, place your vote now at OutKick360 on Twitter. Um, Nick Saban, after the loss, is trying to get his team's attention. He's on the coach's show where, quite frankly, he was extremely honest last week. He, he, said, he, he said exactly what Texas A&M did and what he was afraid of in this game. And apparently that didn't get his team's attention enough, although they did rally back to take a 38-31 lead. Uh, in the fourth quarter, despite being down 24-7. Um, some people forget that about Bama. They, they rally back. That showed me a lot about the Crimson Tide. Um, but Calzada also earned the legendary status against Saban's defense. And now he's saying that this team, we, we are no longer considered elite after the loss. Give me a- That's what he put out uh, on, on Twitter. I mean, what's depressing about this to me is that Tuscaloosa will will believe him. <laughs> it's such it's so nonsensical. I mean, uh, I I I, I don't loss. know that college football <laughs> people uh, outside of his trance will will 
not look at this and have the reaction that we're having. Well, it's he, ridiculous to say they're not. But elite. you you acknowledge that he's he he doesn't care one bit about what Tuscaloosa thinks about that comment. There's only one group of people he wants to pay well, attention. He's talking to his team. Yes, but I think it's. I would hope that his team has... He wants that in the headlines so his team sees it from other people other than him. Because people like me sit here and say, Alabama is still going to be in the college football playoff. Yeah. That's why he's saying it. There is a... It's uh, a ridiculous thing to say. There's a great line, a great speech from, uh, from Mike Leach that I played for you guys before when he was at Texas Tech. And he is going all <laughs> in on his team. And he's like, you know... You didn't beat Texas. Uh, Michael Crabtree beat Texas. Those guys lie. You think you did that. You didn't do anything. That, that's Nick Saban's constant battle with his players is even if you were on last year's team and contributed, you know, that was Devontae Smith that did all that. That was Mac Jones that did that. that. Those are these other guys that had these great years that won the national title. This is a completely new team. Not that they don't get a championship ring too and all of that, but... It's, that, it's not a struggle for Nick Saban because he does it very well. But this reset of, well, we lost a game, so now we're not elite. You guys haven't proved anything. You haven't done It's just one motivational ploy after the other. And I'm with you, Paul. It's exhausting if you're an outsider looking at it saying, this is so ridiculous. You lost one game on the road with crazy circumstances in a crazy environment you had not lost a game since 2019 before that. You had not lost to an unranked opponent since 2007, which was Nick Saban's first season. 100 straight games. They lost to UL Monroe on homecoming in 2007 and had not lost to an unranked team since that moment. It's so ridiculous to hear it. But we know exactly what he's trying to do. He's, he's saying, you know, we're... By the way, they're not an elite team because they're not in the elite you know, spot on television this weekend was kind of part of that, too. They're on ESPN. You know, they're the ESPN primetime game against Mississippi State. I had a much State. better game. It's go just, go it's, talk to your team in the locker room. Go talk to your team I on saw, the side. I saw Clint Lamb, uh, who works for On3 Sports. Again, he Paul, covers, he's, he, he's, he does that. He's wanting us to repeat it. Why he said that is so the, the papers will have that as the headline. I understand. That, people that's on the social point. media. That way other fans will repeat this, and they will then get the player's attention from a different voice. That's why he puts this out there. It's, it's no different than what he also said on his radio show about dirty sleep. He wants, <laughs> he wants his guys. The, the quote, uh, this is uh, from Michael, Michael Casagrande, who was listening to the, the uh, coach's show. Saban said they have a bunch of players on the team with sleep issues. There are some guys who get, quote, dirty sleep, like spending too much time on the internet or doing other things. That's not motivating them to change. Well, you know, and that, that's, they're all wearing those monitors where he yeah. sees all of that, the, everything they're doing. Heart rate. <laughs> Can you imagine, Sorry, though? Sorry, Coach, you don't control if I'm looking at my phone at 10 o'clock at night. Or but he does. I mean, that's what's amazing about Nick Saban. He absolutely does. I mean, can you imagine Nick Saban lording over your life <laughs> To where he's getting a report from some team doctor about what you were doing the night before. Hey, I see here that your heart rate was up at 1 a.m. What were you doing? <laughs> what was going on? You were supposed to be in bed at this time. I mean, that's this is the control. And Paul, I know you hate it, and I understand your hatred for it. This is the control that Nick Saban has. Uh, Clint Lamb, who works for On3 Sports now, covers Alabama. I saw him tweet, the biggest obstacle for Alabama are some of the Alabama fans and how they react to the one loss. Well, and this is the reality of it. 
Alabama, they have such a dynasty rolling right now and the greatest coach of all time that it's true. Their only obstacle are themselves. We'll go back to the There's tweet. There's no outside factors that affect them. We go back to the tweet, and if you scroll down, you can see the, the reaction from some of the fan base on this dirty sleep. Look at this. Here's uh, uh, Dirty sleep doesn't sound anything like sleep. Uh, should have just said they're not sleeping enough because they're playing video games all night. Sounds like they aren't being worked hard enough. Oh, the, these are from some of the, the Tuscaloosa fan base. Now, here we go. Uh, another one. I mean, every football player at Alabama does things on the side. They're kids. Um, you keep going down. Bama Willie says, I can understand the guys have been giving a good amount of money, have been given a good amount of money at 18 and 19 years old. I was once that age. I love football and would be so ecstatic to play at Bamba, but I was 18 once. Girls, parties, nice clothes, nice rides. I can afford it with ease now. So he's, he's saying, like, he's taking it up for the kids. Like, of course they're going to stay up late. Of course they're getting dirty sleep. Good to know that Bama Willie can afford girls now also. He's I can afford it with ease now. Apparently buying some girls also. But Bama Willie really getting after it. It's, it's, all, it's all ridiculous, but it's true that Bama's biggest obstacle would be Bama Yeah, and, and anything else going on. It's also funny that the, the one guy responds and says, well, they're not taking it serious, and, and this season's play has confirmed it. And I'm thinking, it was one game. It well, was one game where you battled back. I mean, it just that's where Bama is. Losing a game is the end of the world to a lot of Alabama fans. And it's not as if they were just blown out. Like, they, you know, A&M took the lead at halftime and then stacked it up, Ran and it away. was like 38-14, like Florida and Tennessee. It was the opposite. Bama rallied back the way you expected Bama to do every time they touched the football. And then Calzada became a legend because of the, the final two drives and coming in with a bum ankle. Like, it worked out perfect for A&M. It's a very specific script they had to follow to win. They did it. Props to A&M. Alabama's going to be fine. Mike Elko is getting a ton of credit, and rightfully so. Texas A&M's defensive coordinator after his plan where he really confused Alabama's front and and got to the quarterback because of of the stunts they were using and the way they were disguising blitz packages all night, and he had a great plan for them. He had a great plan. He's being praised universally, and Alabama still scored a touchdown in the fourth quarter to go up 38-31. So think about that for a second. Yeah, right. It's not like they won the game, like you said, Hutton, 31-10. to 10, Right. And they just completely stifled Bama all night. They had 38 points. They scored. I understand one of those was a, a block kick return for a touchdown, but still, that is a great game against Alabama. Don't get me wrong. I'm taking nothing, nothing away from Mike Elko, but Bama still scored late in the game and battled back to take a, a touchdown lead. Paul, they had a barrage of pass rush on Bryce Young. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I see that Nick Saban can find a lot of things flawed with his team out of that game. And any good coach is going to take that back to his team and say, look how susceptible we were to this, this, and this. And that could grow into a problem if we don't catch ourselves and reset here and all of that. It's the extremism about it that I can't stand. I do not uh, listen to Paul Feinbaum's show, but I did see a tweet with someone that was monitoring the Paul Feinbaum show. And Paul, you're going to love this. They had an Alabama fan call in complaining about Nick Saban doing Aflac commercials because, because they thought that it was live. <laughs> he had to inform them that, you know, he does that in the offseason. He's not doing oh, those really? every week during the season. They're not live 
when they go to the the commercials with Nick Saban and Affleck. Oh, like I he can do that. Like it was a distraction. Go do though. Nick Saban's you know distracted now with all the commercials because I think they were saying that he's doing them during the week. During the week. Yeah, yeah. like he's taking time away to go shoot Affleck commercials, where yeah. he's. We all know Nick Saban. He's probably allotted twelve hours to show up in the off season and knock all those out at once. <laughs> That's a high level. Spending time during the week. It's like Lawan and his podcast. I was just thinking the same, the same thing. It's like my buddy who uh, complained about Tennessee football that said we've become too academic. <laughs> every time this is a college football you know team, and every and time they like, show Chad's like no, they go they go to class in the spring. A- academic, yeah. <laughs> they would you know they post the academic honor roll numbers on Twitter or on the scoreboard at halftime, and he says that this is our problem. We've become too academic. <laughs> too many kids caring too much about their school here, and not enough about winning football games. So Which I, I still love that line. We've become too academic. <laughs> uh, the opponent is set for the Atlanta Braves. Getting the Dodgers. Just what you didn't want. Getting the Dodgers. The Dodgers are so clutch. I just watched that hit. Is, is it in the ninth or the eighth? It was the top it of the ninth. The and I'm just yeah, like, the, the Yankees would never get that hit. Top of the ninth and then uh, bottom of the ninth. The strikeout call was ridiculous. Oh, I mean, that's as check swing as check swing can be. Especially in that moment. Can you get help in that regard? I mean, that's one where I'd almost that's want. That's what they're if doing. The they're asking for help up the line. That guy's well, supposed to see it But my point is, if, if you screw it up to that level, I wish they could just immediately buzz down someone from the league and say, hey, you missed that. Let's keep going. Do they have a right field dump in these series? Well, this is they where I wish they could. from the first base up to the right field dump. This is where I want some, some sort of override button that even if it goes against the rules of the game, <laughs> yeah. it's like, let's not end the game on this. It's too obvious. This is wrong. It's too obvious. Let's just complete, let's correct it quickly and just keep pitching. Because, I mean, they probably still, it's you know, 0-2 at that point, runner on first, but you never know. The next pitch right. could be a home run to win the game. Yeah, just and, and set off the like Giants. a, ooga, ooga. No, no, yeah. mistake, mistake. Just, let's keep playing. Buddy, you missed it. Like someone comes in and just says. So bad. We had the- I, I mean, if I'm that umpire and I... Screwed oh, he up. Was and I to watch it. He was certain of it but based I, on his call. It, oh, I. But even after Immediate. the fact, I would want after the fact to say someone should have stopped me. Like, please overturn yeah, that if I screw hit. up to that that level at the end of a game. And for the suddenness of a, a walk off homer, on if you're the winner or the yeah, loser of that walk-off game, walk off check swing yeah, strikeout. Check swing strikeout at home in the bottom of the ninth for the opportunity to go to the championship series. I can't think of a more deflating way. I mean, I'd rather have a walk off homer in the bottom. Uh, or the top, yeah. for that matter. If then you're going to have something check definitive. swing with a runner on. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that was rough. I feel like Mookie Betts even knew that it was a bad call because he was kind of jogging in, not even really celebrating, just sort of smiling like, oh, yeah, that's a weird way to end that game, but okay, we'll take it. Coming up, Bobby Carpenter will join us. He'll give us his top defense to watch this weekend across college football. We'll preview and... Uh, Take a a quick glance at all of the massive games uh, that will kick off tomorrow. Of course, the SEC, but also in the other Power 5 conferences. That's all straight ahead on OutKick 360. Bobby Carpenter about to join us in an hour. We'll be joined by Brent Hobbs, VolQuest.com. The VolQuest Power Hour headed your way. We'll be previewing Tennessee and Ole Miss. About to preview the rest of college football momentarily. Uh, big trade today, earlier in the, in the NFL. Yeah. Zach Ertz is headed to Arizona. I, I, I had this brief flash. Uh, I'm sure it's out there. I haven't seen it yet. Like, 
guys have played in the same week before. Thursday night to Sunday's quick, too quick a turn, I would think. I wonder if it's is it legal? Like, can you play this? I, I think guys have played oh, like can in, you the join in the week. same week. Yeah, can you play two week six games? Contractually, I don't think you can. I don't think you could. Yeah, that doesn't seem like it's Fair. possible. Yeah, I don't think it's you can. possible, but it would be impossible through league rules to do that. That's a good ad for Arizona. I mean, Arizona's got weapons, and they just got another weapon. He, he's they've been looking to deal him forever. Bobby yes. Carpenter is uh, with Outkick.com. He's a college football contributor. You can see uh, him on the YouTube channel as well. Uh, with his game previews and reviews of the weekend. And you can follow him on Twitter, at bcart 3 Bobby joins us each and every Friday to preview the college football weekend. Bobby, hope you're doing well. Gentlemen, I'm doing great. Uh, thanks for having me in here. And uh, I do not believe that you can play two games in a week as per league rules with the NFL. At least that's how I remembered it being. I'm not positive they have changed that, but I can't imagine them allowing guys to play twice. You are correct, Bobby. You cannot. I just saw a tweet come down right now from someone saying, for the record, he can't play this week because of this game. What so I think I'm confusing up. it with is, is based on bye weeks, guys having played like a 17-game season uh, because of the way bye weeks lined up before. Hey, first, uh, as we get things going, Bobby, what do you think of A&M's win over Alabama? And, uh, you know, I always enjoy a frustrated Nick Saban because he, he's so surly and he gets so upset. And it was bound to happen. I mean, one of his assistants, they're all really good. One of those guys was going to eventually get him. I was just surprised that the way that it went down. I mean, Alabama looked like they struggled to pick up the pass rush early on. It looked like A&M's defense was gassed. And when Bama took the lead at 38-31, I was watching the game with some of my friends and we looked like, it's over. Like, A&M had their shot. They had it all set up. They relinquished the lead. They have nothing left in the tank, and now they're going to be done. And lo and behold, I mean, they went and rattled off 10 points, game-winning field goal, and, you know, they were able to get it done. So this college football season, that's why, you know, this year it almost would be perfect to have an 18 playoff or some expanded playoff because I don't know if every week you could sit there and predict ultimately who is going to win each game. Bobby Carpenter with us. Again, follow him on Twitter at bcarp 3 Iowa wins against Penn State. What did they prove to you in that game? And now as you look at their upcoming schedule, they, they, they play Purdue, then a matchup at Wisconsin. You know, so they were able to beat Penn State. And if, if you watch the game, you know, Penn State really dominated early on. Uh, you know, Sean Clifford for Penn State, their quarterback, there was an early interception. But after that, you know, they hold him and they end up amassing a 17-3 lead. And then all of a sudden when he goes out and then uh, – Roberson comes in their backup and he is ill-equipped. It's a hostile environment. You know, they rely on a lot of Clifford's ability to throw the ball efficiently, you know, in the intermediate and short passing game. They couldn't do that. And so it was only a matter of time before Iowa's defense eventually took over. I think Iowa's a good team. They're flawed a little bit offensively. They they don't really hit the home run. You know, defensively, if they don't get pressure, I think that they could be exposed a little bit in the secondary if their defensive line can't get there. But the reality is with Wisconsin not being very good, they're going to have a pretty easy path to the Big Ten Championship. And yeah, they may drop a little bit in the rankings, but if they're undefeated, they're not going to fall below three, four, five, somewhere in there. And so, you know, they're going to be sitting, you know, probably the Big Ten West champs, you know, awaiting, you know, whoever kind of battles it out between Ohio State, Penn State, uh, Michigan, and Michigan State. And they'll take that, 
that winner. And I'd imagine at this point with where the Big Ten kind of is, whoever wins the Big Ten championship is going to get in. Iowa hosts Purdue, uh, 11 and a half point favorites. You don't see an upset there, but you did right. The problem with the Big Ten over the past few seasons is that when teams finally begin to climb in the polls, they drop a game against an inferior opponent. As a Big Ten guy yourself, I'm wondering how much that drives you crazy and why you think that's been the case. Well, it's kind of the case in you know a lot of the conferences, but you know just watching the Big Ten a lot more, you know, because that's where I yeah, I'm located closer to a lot of these coaches. Um, I was good, you know. They're a really good team. Are they an elite team? I don't know, but I know this: if they lose a game, no one's going to view them anymore as an elite team. And so they're playing a Purdue team that you know beat Oregon State earlier in the season. You know that they're not great. But this is like a classic game that Iowa would lose. Beat Penn State. You've got it all set up in front of you. It's at home. Uh, so they obviously have that going for them. But it's, they're 11.5-point favorites. You feel like the spread should be larger. But Purdue's got a pretty good run defense. You know, in Iowa, that's pretty much what they do. I think this will be a low-scoring game. And I probably – I look forward to be inside of a 10-point of a game. Like maybe 10, probably somewhere around 7 points. I think Iowa ultimately wins it. You know, but they're not a team that's going to blow teams out unless they're getting that, you know, barrage of turnovers that they've seemed to have received the last couple of weeks. You know, I think we've gone full circle, Bobby, with people that, you know, put up with Nebraska's dominance in the 90s, probably laughing at the Cornhuskers and some of their issues to now full on feeling sorry uh, for Nebraska fans and for Scott Frost with the way they've lost some of these close games. Michigan State. They don't give up a first down in the second half. They lose that game in overtime. The fumble with Adrian Martinez to lose the game against Jim Harbaugh in Michigan. They're clearly improved, especially from that loss to Illinois to start the season, but it's not showing with wins so far. I feel like this is a huge game for Scott Frost at Minnesota this week. They're a slight favorite on the road. I think it's important to get to a bowl game this year for Nebraska. If they do this, they've still got Purdue and at Wisconsin Two winnable games right now for Nebraska. What do you think about Nebraska so far this season? What do you think about their chances against Minnesota this week and how important that game may be for Nebraska? You know, it's not a huge game, obviously, for college football, the landscape when you look at, uh, you know, the playoff. But for Scott Frost, they're three and four. And you mentioned, you know, they lost to OU by a score. They lose to Michigan State by a score. They have Michigan on the ropes and they cough the ball up and lose by a field goal late. So they're in this position and in this in a place where you want to be performance-wise, but they're not getting the result. And so that's why I think this week is huge for them. Get the win, get the 500. I believe they have their bye week coming up uh, you know, after this. And so they'll be able to kind of relax a little bit. They should be able to win you know, eight games. This is a pretty good squad, but they're going to have to find a way to get a win right here. Because outside of Iowa, like the West – isn't fantastic. So they, I think they're probably the second best team in the West as you look at it. And they need this win because it's hard to continue to get guys to buy in week in and week out. And you're telling them you're doing the right things and you're just so close, but you're not getting the result. And so they need to get the results this week against the Gophers. So Bobby, we have a poll question out right now that coincides with our Outkick the Tailgate show about with Bama's loss. Now, who is the second best team in America behind Georgia? Alabama's an option. Cincinnati's an option, Iowa's an option, Oklahoma's an option. Are we sleeping on Ohio State as an option as the second best team in the country? Your alma mater, does Ohio State, do you think, do they have a claim to possibly be the second best team in America right now? 
And I think they do based upon what, how they played um, the last three weeks. Now, they haven't played any elite competition, so they don't have that signature win, which you can look at some of those other teams in there that they have. Heck, even Cincinnati, you know, they controlled Notre Dame and they've looked good in every other game. So, you know, I would reserve the right to probably wait until Halloween weekend when they play Penn State at home, which will be a fantastic environment night game. I think it's going to be tremendous, but they have all of the talent, you know, and they're starting to finally put the production together. And I think if you look, I mean, there are three receivers, Jeremy Ruckert, and then uh, Travion Henderson, their running back. I think he might be the best in the country. He's definitely going to be by the time he's done. He's a very, very talented kid. He was the number one guy coming out his senior year. And I would probably stack those five skill position players against anybody. So if their offensive line plays well, they're really great on offense. The question is, how far is this defense going to come? They've, like I said, they've looked good the last three weeks, but looked good against who? You know, it's it's Akron, it's Rutgers, it's Maryland. I need to see them look good against teams that I know have some NFL caliber talent. You know, hopefully a Sean Clifford-led Penn State. Like, you can slow them down. Okay, now we're starting to get somewhere. So I would say Ohio State's in that mix. You know, I've talked to some other people across the Big Ten, and like, who's your favorite in the Big Ten? They're like, Ohio State, clearly at this point, based upon what they've seen, because you feel like they've started to garner that momentum, but they still have to do it against one of these elite schools. And so I think that they will, but you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a seeing is believing type of guy. So you've got to show it to me. We sit a, a week away from Michigan, Michigan state and, and the Wolverines are interesting, uh, Bobby, because they can, they can run the football. Their defense stepped up late last week. What are they lacking for the true buy-in from the general public, from the casual football fan like me? What's Michigan lacking this year? Well, it's kind of interesting because you look at Iowa, you look at Georgia, you look at Michigan, some of these teams that are playing really well, they're not throwing the football all that well. And I would put Michigan into that. Now, Cade McNamara has played a little bit better. Jim Harbaugh has been a little more aggressive. You know, Having injuries at the start of the season hurt their receiving core, so that's obviously going to be an issue. But they've got to find a way to push the ball down the field. When you start playing you know, elite competition. When Michigan plays, you know, Michigan State, Ohio State, Penn State, you know, should they play Iowa, you know, in the Big Ten championship game? You know, when you play the Bama's, your teams that can line up and you just can't hammer them for five, six, seven, eight yards a play, you've got to be able to push the ball down the field, take advantage of some of those chunk plays because it's too hard to consistently drive the football. And so for Michigan, as I watch them, what I need to see is I need to see an efficient passing offense. And I need to see one that's, you know, against a pretty good squad because Michigan, like, they've won games, but they haven't necessarily ha- had those big signature wins. You know, either, you know, they, they handled Wisconsin and did some good stuff there. But, you know, Wisconsin, I don't think, is what they have been. They're good on the defensive side, but a defense can only hold on for so long if you're not getting any help. Let's stay in the state of Michigan. Michigan State, only a four-and-a-half-point favorite on the road at Indiana. They've been very good offensively. They, they just had a 300-yard passer. 200-yard rusher, 200-yard receiver in the same game. What do you think about the job Mel Tucker has done with Michigan State? And do you see them as a legitimate threat in the Big Ten East? I think they have to play a little bit better defensively. Um, they've got a nice win against Miami. You know, they beat Nebraska. You know, a, a tough game in overtime. So you're starting to see they have a little grit. I mean, they're far better at this point than anybody thought they would be with Mel Tucker. To me, you know, he should be in, you know, running for coach of the year based upon the fact that you know, I looked at this start of the season, I put Michigan State probably in the bottom quarter of the Big Ten. I, I did not have them anywhere near the top half. 
And if you look at what Peyton Thorne, their quarterback's done, really good job. He's got Naylor and Reed, two elite receivers. Both of them have almost 500 yards, 11 touchdowns between them. And then they get that running game going with Kenneth Walker, the third. So they have everything that you need on offense. Defensively, they've done it with a couple of transfers. Got some corners from Florida, from Georgia. They did a good job. I believe one of their linebackers is from Tennessee. And so they did a good job in the portal, getting guys to come in there, buy in, be really, you know, talented football players, but then also fit within the system. And, you know, Mel Tucker being from the uh, coaching in the South with Saban, with Kirby, had a relationship, I think, with some of those guys, knew what he was getting into. I'm a little bit of see and believe it. You know, Michigan State, this is a, a worrisome game for me against Indiana. It's at Indiana. They're only four and a half point favorites. I think they cover. I think they win this thing. But this is a game historically that Michigan State would lose. You know, they're rolling. Everything's good. I believe they have a bye. And then they play Michigan on the same day Ohio State plays Penn State to kind of wrap up the month of October. And so you could kind of get worried, like, is this a trap game? You're looking ahead. You got the bye week next week, big rivalry game after that. They take care of business, look good against Indiana. I mean, I'm all in at this point on Michigan State after that being able to make a big push, you know, toward to what's going to be a really nice month of November and late October for the Big Ten uh, slate. Bobby, it's not looking good for Ed Ogeron at LSU right now. They've got Florida tomorrow. They're a big underdog in that one. The two names I see for that possible vacancy over and over are James Franklin and Lane Kiffin. Another name I started to see this week is Mel Tucker. This could be another Michigan State coach going to LSU. The last time that happened for LSU, it worked out pretty well with Nick Saban. What do you think about Mel Tucker as a possible next coach at LSU? You know, I believe, actually, Mel went to LSU with Nick as a GA long, long time ago, before he was at Ohio State, you know, many, many moons ago. I think Mel would be a great fit down there. Um, it would be painful to kind of watch him leave Michigan State. I don't know where he would be at, you know, personally with this. And we start factoring in, you know, these coaches, coaching decisions. And the guy's making $6 million and change. You know, Michigan State, do you want to go to LSU? You know, you're going to be playing, obviously, in a really tough conference. It's a great it's a great school. They've got great talent. There's going to be high expectations. I think that he would be a really good fit down there. Like I said, knowing Mel personally, I, I don't know exactly if that's what he wants to do, if he wants to go down there. And part of it is, you know, you start getting late in your career. It's like, hey, he's a head coach. He's doing a really good job. You know, how sustainable does he think it is at Michigan State? I think that's a question you have to ask him versus how sustainable could it be at LSU? I mean, you know, Nick Saban's not going to be at Bama forever. And so if you get to the point where, hey, maybe I take this job, um, I can kind of take some of that success away from Nick and kind of, you know, he can hand, hand the torch or take it from him as he kind of steps out. You know, maybe that's something that he is interested in. Uh, but you mentioned Florida, you know, traveling to LSU this week. I was kind of surprised that Ed didn't get fired last week. I think if they lose this game by three touchdowns and, you know, they're, they're underdogs by a little over, I think, 10, 11 points. I mean, I can't imagine him making it through the next week because he's a big, chesty guy. He's got, he always has a comment about everything. I love Coach O, but you look at what's happened since he, you lose Brady, you lose your, your Randa. Like, it just has kind of unraveled right in front of him you know, over the last two seasons. And now you got Stingley getting surgery. And I, I don't want to say the guys are choosing not to play over injury, but it, just the outside perception of what's going on at LSU, it doesn't really look that good from a national perspective. How devastated were you by Alabama's uh, one-loss plummet out of the ranks of, of the elite? I don't know if I'd say Alabama plummeting out of the ranks uh, of the this elite. This is according to Nick Saban. 
Oh yeah, of course. I mean, Nick, Hey, here's what's the best is Nick predicted his own trap game. You know I mean? That's how great of a football coach he is. He called it a trap game. It's a night game. It felt like he was trying to get his players interested in it because like, ah, you know, coach, it was supposed to be, you know, a big game, but look at it now. I mean, they've lost games. They're not very good. The only reason it's at night is because it was pre-scripted to be here. And then all of a sudden they go in and get beat. So yeah, he can call it that. He says whatever he wants. He's trying to juice up his team. They're really talented. They've got a young quarterback. They're young at some positions. And this is what happened, you know, when you have an abbreviated spring ball two years ago, like, you know, the season was up and down. Guys didn't get the reps, I think, that they normally would have. And so you're starting to see some of that, like the chickens come home to roost for everybody in college football with some inconsistencies, you know, with some of their younger players who normally would be a little bit further along in their development at this point. Bobby Carpenter from OutKick.com with us. Bobby, can you think of some examples of games that are expected to go a certain way and don't? And I'm previewing right now Tennessee and Ole Miss. Over-under right now is 83 points, depending on where you look, 82 at FanDuel. And I wonder, is this game going to feature one of the coaches zigging when everyone else is expecting them to zag? And... I I also want to factor in the defense for both teams. What do you think the the fact that both defenses practice against this style of offense does that play any bearing in how this game goes tomorrow at Neyland Stadium? You know the fact that both those guys are up tempo guys, you know, they're going to throw it all over the place. Does that help a defense? I don't know because here's the problem: when you start running plays quickly and you start getting a lot of points, defense gets sloppy. Guys, you know, the tackling starts going to hell. They get tired. They get fatigued. And then at that point, you start to see some of these games where they start to get in the 40s and 50s. I think the the line at 83, 82 and a half, whatever it might be, I feel like that almost might be kind of low. When, <laughs> and my initial thought when I heard it, I mean, seriously, I'm looking like, yeah, this game probably seems like a 52-49 game to me. Like, you could probably set the game at 90, and I probably still would have taken the over. Um you know, you've got Matt Corral out there. He's going to sling the ball over the place. You know, I like what Heupel's done at Tennessee. Uh, this game just feels like a classic shootout. It feels a little bit more like a Tuesday night action game where you're just going <laughs> to see like 70 yeah. points on each uh, scoreboard. I'd like to tell you that one of these coaches will have some the trick up their sleeve and slow it down or defense will rule the day. And we're overestimating the offenses. I don't think that's the case here. Bobby Carpenter knows defense. What defense are you watching tomorrow? Who, who specifically must step up? Gentlemen, I've been championing the Kentucky Wildcats with you guys for about the last three weeks and what they've done. You know, the offense has stepped up with uh, Levis, with Rodriguez being able to run the ball. But Mark Stoops is a defensive guy. and They've really got it done at the linebacker level. I love what uh, Jordan Wright, J.J. Weaver's done. Four sacks. They've been really impressive. Uh, DeAndre Squares, their leading tackler from the linebacker position, has interception, a couple of sacks as well. Like, this defense is good. They're going to be challenged mightily against Georgia. And for them to win, they're going to have to play the game of their life. They're averaging about, I think, you know, getting up 17, 18 points a game. Georgia's averaging like five and a half, six points given up. I mean, that, it's crazy how good they are uh, on defense. But this is going to be a slugfest. As, as high scoring as Ole Miss and Tennessee might be, this game will be the other side of that. And for Kentucky to win the game, they've got to outplay Georgia's defense against an offense that's probably better than theirs. So they're going to have to play the game of their lives. I think they have it in them. You know, what is it? I think they're 21-point dogs, which is crazy to me to think that based upon what I've seen. I feel like it's a little bit of branding there because 
Kentucky's a basketball school and Georgia's a football school and everyone knows how good Georgia is. And it's like, ah, Kentucky, who have they beat? This team beat Florida. They smoked LSU. Like they're a good defensive team. They can do it. If they can do enough on offense to keep them fresh, I think this game's going to be a lot closer than people think. I don't believe Kentucky pulls the upset, but I, I see this being more like a 10 point game, maybe 14 late. But 21, that that to me is disrespectful to what Kentucky's done so far this year. We learned our lesson last week. We're sitting on Outkick the Tailgate right outside of Kyle Field. And we were, I mean, we're previewing a game we we were expecting to be a blowout. And it was the exact opposite. The, the atmosphere was incredible uh, in Aggie land. I, I hope for just half of that, half of that tomorrow. If we get half of the game we saw last week, it will be a, a, a be fun a game day. to watch. That's that's for sure. Bobby, thank you so much uh, for the time and for the preview. We we love your work at Outkick, and uh, we'll continue to to follow the columns and uh, view everything on the YouTube channel. I appreciate it, guys. Love coming on and talking a little college football every Friday. Thanks, Bobby. Thanks. Talking ball with Bobby Carpenter. You can follow him on Twitter at bcarp3. We'll switch gears and talk some NFL when we return. Upset picks. I've got a handful for you in week six across the National Football League. And PK's props, we're going to hit at FanDuel.com this weekend. That's all straight ahead. Outkick 360 rolls on. Join us tomorrow morning for Outkick the Tailgate presented by Farm Folio. We will get going at 9 a.m. Eastern, 8 o'clock Central, across the Outkick Network, which includes the YouTube channel. You can follow us on Twitter as well, Outkick360, and you can uh, chime in on the poll questions and weigh in on tomorrow's show topics that way. NFL Week 6, we, we previewed some of the best games. Here are some upset winners. My upset winners for Week 6, straight up against the spread at FanDuel.com. Jags over the Dolphins. I'm actually confident in Jacksonville this week, Jacksonville snaps their 20-game losing streak against Miami. They hand the Dolphins the, their, their fifth loss of the season. The Dolphins have won one more game this season than Jacksonville. Keep that in mind as both of these teams play in London. The Dolphins allow 133 rushing yards per game. James Robinson is capable of producing that. Just ask the Tennessee Titans last week. Tua's returning from injury. I think there's opportunity for Saxonville to show up uh, at, in, in London this weekend and show up really for the first time all season in a great way. Uh, Tua was banged up because of the lack of protection. I think that happens in this game. Texans over the Colts. I think this is a great weekend for the Titans to take advantage. Houston lost 40 to nothing to Buffalo and then rebounded to nearly knock off the Patriots at home. They did some nice things last week. I'm going to bet that that carries over. And it's a bit of a reach. But the Colts were handed a crushing loss on Monday night. It's a short week. Their kicker is hurt. I like the, te the Texans to play a close game. And in a close game in the Dome, I think they have a chance to win outright. Panthers over the Vikings. We're going to learn about both teams on Sunday. Sam Darnold did not play well last week. Their offensive line in Carolina has struggled. He felt a ton of pressure. He sped up his mechanics. That hurt his execution. Plain and simple. McCaffrey should be back. That is a huge boost. And it's a toss-up. Last night, the Panthers were a one-point home underdog against the Vikings. I like Carolina at home. And the Chargers over the Ravens. L.A., the third most passing yards in the league. Baltimore's defense ranks bottom 10 against the pass. 
Herbert's sophomore season continues to rise. The Chargers win their second straight shootout against the Ravens offense, who will also put up a ton of points. I think this is this game's going to be a blast to watch. Baltimore has won in overtime. They've won on a 66-yard field goal, and they beat the Chiefs after Clyde Edward-Hilaire fumbled. I'm taking the Chargers to play a more consistent game and start the game fast and then actually finish, unlike what the Colts did. Those are my upset picks for week six across the NFL. Go, having, go 50% and win money at FanDuel. I'm not... Uh, I'm having trouble buying the Texans there, but I, I like the chances in the other three, particularly Chargers. Tough for me to buy the Colts, but I will buy in to your props. I need some props to play for FanDuel.com slash OK360. Well, the one thing I wish they had, they don't have like the game-by-game player props, so I look at like the entire field Sunday props, which they offer. So, uh, for starters, I'm, I'm looking at a big day for Matthew Stafford here. Uh, I'm picking him as the uh, passing leader for Sunday games going against the Giants. I have a feeling the Giants are going to just tank on Sunday with their injuries, though it sounds like um, the quarterback is going to be healthy. He's practicing today. Um, and, and could be back. I still like Stafford. Daniel Jones. Yeah, sorry. The Giants are giving up 284, almost 285 passing yards a game. I like Matthew Stafford here at plus 850 to be the passing leader uh, of all the games on Sunday, strictly. Lowest scoring games, <clears throat> I put money on two here. Seattle and Pittsburgh, I don't have a lot of faith in Geno Smith, and Pittsburgh is no scoring juggernaut. Juju Smith-Schuster now out of the picture um, and, and Houston and Indianapolis, I don't expect to be a slug fest. Um, and most receiving yards, a lot of good options here. The Chiefs are giving up a lot of passing yards. Um, and they're tied for 28th against the pass. Charvarius Ward is hurt, didn't practice on Blue Thursday. Raider. Chris Lemmings, his backup, is practicing but is banged up. I see an opportunity for Terry McLaurin to maybe have a big game. And at plus 1,800, uh, if you hit on that, you're, you're making a very, very nice return. Chad's placing all of those bets currently. Bandle.com slash OK360. Actually just placed every single bet, including a parlay <laughs> with uh, Hutton's games, all of them. So If you've never placed a bet done. at FanDuel, you can go to Fanduel.com slash OK360. Sign up. You deposit $10, and you can wager – a risk-free bet. You can risk up to $1,000. And when I say risk, it's actually risk-free. A risk-free bet up to $1,000 with your first bet at fanduelcom slash OK360. You'll get the money back inside credit if you lose your first bet. But, hey, follow us. You'll win. FanDuel.com slash OK360. Uh, there were a couple of Paul, games. by the way, I really like your lowest scoring game bets. That's Those are good. Thank you. Yeah, big fan. Well, you have to hit on one of them, right? You're going to lose one of them. Yeah, right. Yeah, you're spreading it out. But no, the, the well, because, odds because you're getting odds like this. Like, I, and I've done this with the highest receiver, highest passer, higher rushing, uh, yeah. highest receiver. I bet I think six of them. Yeah, you, you hit one of the six. Yeah, you get and your you, money and more. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, I I did not take the Browns as the or or, or the Cardinals. Uh, I I surveyed that game as part of an upset pick. Uh, didn't go that direction. 
Uh, did not go Titans over the Bills. We will preview that coming up in the the Tennessee Power Hour. There's a, a lot to discuss about Monday night's matchup. We'll preview it all throughout the day on Monday uh, with more analysis. But as we go into the weekend, some things to keep an eye on injury-wise for the Tennessee Titans. But among the the home underdogs, the Titans are, are that this week. What, six points is the last I checked against the Bills. I've offense. seen five and a half. I've seen six. Um, you know, it's hard hard to get behind them right now. Uh, you know, I, I'd say kind of what Bobby Carpenter said there. Uh, I'm a show-me guy, uh, and they're going to need to come out and do things they haven't done. We know what the offenses for Ole Miss and Tennessee will do and what they'll show. Brent Hubbs joins us from VolQuest to kick off the final hour in the Tennessee Power Hour. We will preview all things Vols and Rebels. It's coming up at Neyland Stadium under the lights. Cannot wait for kickoff. Brent Hubbs gets you there next.